0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. This morning's scripture reading comes from Philemon, verses 8 to 18. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Christ.
1: Thanks, Amy. Good morning, everyone. Uh, So I was uh, reading in the New York Post uh, online this past week uh, 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 an interview with the entertainer Steve Harvey, who was talking about how he'd lost respect for... Uh, Will Smith for slapping Chris Rock uh, during the Oscars. You guys ever hear about that? It happened. So uh, they called it the slap that was heard around the world. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, nonetheless, Steve Harvey said this, I'm a Christian, but I'm really underdeveloped. I don't have a high level Christianity. On a scale of one to ten, I'm like a two. That's the level of Christianity I can work on. If you slap a minister, he'll turn the other cheek. But if you slap me, if you go back to your seat and sit next to your wife, Jada would have to move out of the way. That's the type of Christian I am. So so we've got a letter here where Paul the Apostle is reaching out a man who might want to slap another man. Uh, The man's name is Philemon, and uh, one of his slaves named Onesimus has run away, uh, and he's got this whole accumulation of of, of things that he's upset about. He was lazy when he was here, and then he left, uh, leaving us high and dry with all this work that needs to be done, and he stole some stuff. As he did that. So, that's the situation. And the standard in Rome, which was where this all happened, the standard was that you would treat a runaway or fugitive slave with brutal punishment, and you might even execute that slave, which was allowed by law. That was the standard in Rome, but Paul's saying here that the standard in Christ is that you transition from being uh, a 2 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. The level that every Christian is called to aspire to involves two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then out of that is to develop uh, what we've called a form of social holiness, Where Jesus says, just like the first command of loving God with everything that you are, there's also the second command that's just like it. Inseparable from it, other side of the same coin. It's like the head, the heads is is love God with everything. The tails side is is love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, through the way he lived his life, and then also through his teaching, unpacked what he meant by love your neighbor as, as yourself when he said... That includes loving your enemy, even. That includes even blessing those who have wronged you, which we we find in the the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And so Philemon, this this recipient of the letter, he, he has this reputation for being a next level, like 10 out of 10 encourager for his own people, his inner ring, his sort of Curated in a ring, his nuclear family, uh, the little church that that meets in his house, which is kind of like a connect group, like a big connect group that that met in his house. Like he he is known, and Paul writes about that in this letter, uh, of being a next-level encourager for his own people. But what this letter is all about is, is Paul... Who has led both Philemon, who, who who led both Philemon and Onesimus to Christ in the past, to expand his tight little circle of love to now include all of Christ's people, not just the ones that you like and want to be like, but all of the people that Christ has welcomed into his circle, which now includes your fugitive escaped. Slave, And so what this letter becomes is a a bit of a masterclass in what we call mediation, where we've got Paul, the man in the middle, uh, bringing together these two estranged, now brothers in Christ, back into brotherhood. So three words about how this mediation works, vouching, bridging, and imitating. So I'm just going to go through those three words. Vouching, first of all, Paul's mission here in this letter is to change how Philemon thinks about Onesimus. Again, Onesimus, while escaped, at, at, while a fugitive, has somehow encountered the Apostle Paul who is, who is under arrest, he's under house arrest, he's in prison, he's needing encouragement, he's isolated, and somehow Onesimus comes to him. Maybe he's hungry and he's like, you're the only dude out here that I know and i need some food or i need some work or i need some community i'm scared i need some protection i don't we don't know what brought onesimus and paul together but what we do know is that paul led this young man to christ and then this young man in turn became incredibly helpful for paul in the situation that he's in and so paul calls him my child verse 10 whose father I became, whose spiritual father I became in my imprisonment. And then he goes on to, to talk about how Onesimus has, is now a changed man. Like the guy, the young man that you know as a fugitive, as a slave, as a lazy worker, he's one of the best workers I've ever had. He's useful. He's helpful. And then in verse 12, he, he starts to get affectionate. He says, he's my very heart. He's my very heart. He's dear to me. He is more, this is verse 16, he is more than what you see in him. More than a bondservant, he is now your beloved brother. And that's how you need to receive him because I'm sending him back to you. So I, I couldn't help but re- be reminded of, of, of the story of the Duke of Windsor. If you've watched The Crown on Netflix you, 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 and you're caught up, you, you know about that story, right? He meets this... This woman in America, who's also divorced, and he falls in love with her, and everybody's saying no, no. You know, you're supposed to meet, you know, your future spouse, your future wife, wife among you know the British elites, and and you know from a good family, from an elite family, from 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 people like us. And and here you you go off and you meet this American, and and she's divorced, and 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 you're why are you interested in her? No, and and. And his answer is, look, I'll give up the crown if I have to, which he did in in actual history, not just in the Netflix series, but in actual history, Duke of Windsor gave up the crown in order to marry this woman. And his reason that he gave all of his critics was, you don't know her like I know her. You don't know her like I know her. And here is Paul saying the same thing. You don't know this young man like I know this young man, and I want you to know this young man like I know this young man. It's what you could call good gossip, right? We, we talk all the time about the, the kind of toxic gossip where, where you tear somebody else's reputation down when they're not in the room to discredit them in the eyes of other people. Here is the opposite of that. Onesimus isn't in the room, right, with Philemon, and, and Paul is building him up, It's it's what you can call good gossip, catching somebody doing good and and instead of catching somebody doing wrong, which is actually a a regular Christian practice. Reversing the narrative of of bad gossip, turning it into good gossip. And so, so Paul, what would compel Paul in this way, knowing all that's happened between these two people? Well, Paul had once been in a similar place as Onesimus, except under different circumstances. He was sent to people who didn't like him. Right? So, so, so Acts chapter 6 through 8, we, we see the story unfold of Stephen, who's, who's the, the church's and Christianity's very first recorded martyr. And we see that presiding over his death was a man named Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul and the writer of letters like this one. And then in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is on the road to a place called Damascus to do it again, to to bring his his violent, anti-Christian, hostile ways to first-century Christianity in Damascus. And on the way, he is blocked by Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's like Jesus is identifying with his people so much that that their hurt is his hurt. Their pain and suffering is also his because they are his very heart. And then he becomes converted, Saul of Tarsus does. He's struck blind, and and, and the angel of the Lord sends him to a a man called Ananias. I want you to go, just like Paul saying to Onesimus, I want you to go. And meet this person that I want you to connect with. And, and the angel of the Lord also goes ahead and says to Ananias, just so you know, there's this guy named Saul that I'm sending to you, and I want you to welcome him. And Ananias freaks out. And he says, what? I, 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 I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your people, Lord. And the Lord's response, you don't know him like I know him. The Lord says, literally in Acts chapter 9, He is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so, so Ananias says, Okay, we'll see how this goes. And, and Saul of Tarsus says, Okay, we'll see how this goes. And the two meet each other. And one of the first words out of Ananias' mouth when Saul of Tarsus shows up, Brother Saul brother Saul. And perhaps it's with the memory of this that that he's saying to to the betrayed slave owner, I want you to receive him no longer as a slave. There's no such thing as a slave, as a human slave who's, who's owned and subjugated to another human. There's no such thing in Christ. There's no such thing, period, for a Christian like, we don't, work the way that, we don't work the way that Rome works. We don't function the way that Rome functions. We don't treat people the way that Rome treats people. We're different. And, and, and so he says, I want you to receive him as your brother. And I'll just bet you he will work better and harder for you as a free man who can leave you at any time at his own free will. But he won't. If you treat him as a brother. And and he will be one of the best workers you've ever had if you treat him like a brother instead of property. You know, that is, you know, that, that's part of what that level two me or you know that 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 part of you that's level two, you know, where you're like, I'm just a level two Christian here. You know, let's engage that person. Because we all are that person on some level, right? I want you to think of specifically the Christian or the group of Christians that you have the most reservation about. Maybe it's somebody who you know personally that just bugs or offends the daylights out of you. And they're a Christian and it bugs you because you know you're supposed to love them. Maybe it's a family member, somebody at work, somebody in your neighborhood, somebody in your church. Or let's just, let's just say it's a person or a group of people, you've never met them, you don't know them personally, but you hate the fact that they claim the name of Christ for themselves and do so publicly. Maybe it's like, a, like an ideologue out there somewhere, like a blogger that, that you, you just rubs you the wrong way and yet they say they're a Christian in the same way you say you're a Christian. Or maybe it's a preacher. Or maybe it's a politician It's claiming the name of Christ and you can't stand that they do. Because you're thinking to yourself, that's not my brand of Christianity. And so, so what this letter means is be done with the brands. There's no such thing as a Christian brand. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we are all part of it. Come hell or high water, See, what the body of Christ is, is a family, not a club. And it's chosen for you instead of being curated by you, just like your family. How many of us chose the families we were born into? None of us did. Our families were just assigned to us. And the church is the same way. And here we have Paul assigning Onesimus to Philemon and Philemon to Onesimus as brothers. You know, what would it take to call your least favorite Christian brother? Your least favorite Christian sister. What would it take? For Paul, I think it was this. He knew what it was like to be vouched for by Jesus. He knew and so he's carrying, on, he's carrying it on into his social ethic, promoting social holiness, which is the flip side of the love of the Lord your God with everything that you are. So, vouching, next, bridging. You know, Philemon has all kinds of reasons to be upset with Onesimus, and, and so Paul says, look, if, if, if you can't bring yourself right now just to do it for him, then do it for me. Love me by loving him. Serve and encourage me by serving and encouraging him. And Paul's pretty assertive. He says in in verse 8, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what's required. Like you and I both know this is required. Like the Lord is is a minister, capital M, of reconciliation and peace. He is the prince of peace. And and so so we both know that you're commanded to do this. And yet I'm not going to force you. And so he goes on and he says, yet for love's sake, I I prefer, rather than commanding you, to appeal to you, to appeal to you. You know, it's one thing to scold somebody into compliance. It's another thing to draw them in with a new vision of what things could be. And so what Paul does is he he positions himself as a mediator, as a a go-between. And he says to both of these guys, I treasure both of you. Onesimus is so helpful, and Philemon is such an encourager, and what I want, and and, and really the best way that both of you can encourage me is to not only be those things for me, but, but start being those things for each other as well. Onesimus, I want you to be helpful to Philemon, and Philemon, I want you to be an encourager to Onesimus. It's a big ask, you know, because you're asking a, an escaped slave who's, who's got some freedom to go back into a, an environment that probably makes him nervous because he had reasons to leave it in the first place. But, but then Philemon's like, oh man, like why can't I like do as the Romans do when in Rome? Like I got to love this guy, like I can't resent him, I can't retaliate, I, I can't tell him who's boss? No. It's a hard ask for both of them, and it's it's what Paul means by moving from level two to level ten as a follower of Christ. Everybody has the Holy Spirit in them and the capacity, therefore, to graduate to a higher level at any given time. The power is there. Spirit is willing, flesh is weak. Get all that. But C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Look, if you know you've been called to love somebody and you have a hard time loving them, then practice loving them and your heart will follow you eventually. Practice loving them and then you will come to love them. And so Paul backs him into a corner. Verse 17, if you consider me your partner, then receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything... Charge that to my account. And then he goes on, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Well, now that you put it that way, how could I say, how could I say no? And he does put it that way. But, but, but here's the most compelling thing that Paul does. He imitates, and that's our final thought here. First Corinthians 11, Paul famously says, follow my example just as I follow the example of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what he's doing here. He's being an advocate in two directions, which is what Jesus does. We're told in Hebrews 7.25 that Christ always lives to intercede for His people. Christ is always the man in the middle the reconciler and peacemaker between God the Father and the sinners that He came to die for and the sufferers He came to, to give mercy to, Christ is always living to intercede, speaking to God about us and to speaking to us about God. It's like Annie Downs says, my, my favorite thing to do is introduce my friends to my other friends. Well, that's, that's what Jesus loves to do. Paul is also demonstrating Christ by being a giver, right? The famous verse, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave and that he sent his only begotten son. And here, here, here Paul is sending a spiritually begotten son, sending him away, letting him go. Even during a time where, where, where this young man is such a benefit, such a help, such an encouragement, and yet he's letting him go for love's sake, letting him go for reconciliation's sake. In the same way that God the Father let go of the Son of God, He sent Him so that we could have Him. And then there's this spirit of hospitality and welcome from Christ that Paul demonstrates. He calls Philemon his beloved brother, and he calls Onesimus his very heart. There's nothing cold, calculated, or impersonal here. This is is affection and warmth in all directions. And so the reason to welcome all of Christ's people, and this this is where Paul really drives the gospel home through imitation, Christ paid it all. Christ has already said, charge it to my account, I'll pick up the tab, you eat for free, and it'll cost me my life. And Christ has already said, I am not ashamed to call any of you my brothers or my sisters. And so, Onesimus won't just be Received when he comes home then, Philemon. You need to understand this. He's not just a member of your staff anymore. He, he's not, you know, just part of the household. Because remember, there's a church that meets in your house, and that's going to be his first family. And you're going to treat him in every other area of life on the basis of that. That he belongs to Christ, you belong to Christ, that you are brothers, and, 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 and everything else is going to flow out of that. You know, you guys, a church is, is, is a lot of things, and I know different people have different and sometimes complicated relationships and perspectives on what, what church means, but, but one of the wonderful things about church is that we'll take anyone, y'all, anyone. Even a, a slave owner and a thief can find a place of belonging in the church. So I'll close with this. I heard this sermon clip. Uh, from Alistair Bag, and he's, he says the first thing he wants to do when he gets to heaven is find the thief on the cross and ask him the question, like, how did this all happen? How did you get here? How, how did this shake out from your perspective? Because right before you died, you, were, you and your friend, your other friend on the other cross, you were cussing out Jesus out loud as he hung between you You were never in a Bible study. You were never baptized. You never had any involvement in any church anywhere. How'd you get here? And then an angel comes along and says, yeah, I've been wondering that too. How'd you get here? What are you doing here? And the thief says, I don't know. And then the angel says, what? I'm going to go get my supervisor. The supervisor comes in and starts asking, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? Never heard of it. Are you, are, you, are you committed to, to a high view of the inerrancy and infallibility of the Holy Scriptures? Never read them. So how would I know? Then on what basis are you here? I don't know. No, on what basis are you here? The man on the middle cross said I could come. That's it. The man on the middle cross said you could come. The man on the middle cross said that your least favorite Christian, who you've blocked on Christian Twitter, can come. What better reason is there not only to enter into reconciliation and peace ourselves but also to be mediators of it wherever we see conflict? Because personal holiness always leads to social holiness, and it's a beautiful thing when it does. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we we do thank you for the man on the middle cross who said we could come, and he continues, and he invites and entreats without demanding And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, thieves and slave drivers alike, come, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Charge it all to my account. Lord, we thank you that the table in front of us is is just another invitation where the man in the middle says, we can come. And it's also the table where we're reminded again and again, week after week, that Jesus willingly had it all charged to His account. What wondrous love is this, O my soul, that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. Lord, would you set aside and set apart uh, these elements, the bread and the cup, very ordinary, um, very ordinary, plain things, much in the same way that you chose to come and visit us, Lord, in a very ordinary, plain, carpenter's sort of way. And yet, Lord, would you accomplish very extraordinary, miraculous things, the kinds of things that cause Ananias to say, Brother Saul, when he meets Saul for the first time, or that would later cause Philemon and Onesimus to be reconciled to one another and then for them both to later become bishops. What wonderful work you do, Lord, through your body and your blood. Thank you for charging it to your own account, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.